Courage comes in many sizes, shapes, and forms. When we think of courageous acts, what comes to mind is often of someone running into a burning building to save someone or stepping in when someone is being attacked. But courage doesn't have to always be in such a heroic scale. It can also happen in smaller everyday occurrences. Courage can come in the form such as of confronting a bully, or courage can be when you ask someone out on a date. Courage can come in the form of you trying a new food if you've never tried it before, or perhaps the courage to ask for a promotion or raise at work. Or perhaps that courage can come in the form of taking a stand against injustice, the courage to hire people who may not always agree with you, or the courage to set healthy boundaries for you and your family and friends. Perhaps that courage can look like you setting aside time for yourself or even the courage to say no. Perhaps that courage every day can be where you have that difficult or straightforward conversation with your manager or your employee or your spouse or your children or even your best friend. I read this in an article in the Harvard Business Review. Consider Martha, which is not a real name, a finance manager at a small company. For years, she endured risque comments and sexual innuendo from her boss, the company president, and she struggled with how to handle it. Should she talk to him about his behavior or just quit the firm? How could she protect the other women in the firm? Then at a staff gathering, her boss grabbed her inappropriately during a light moment, thinking it was funny. Later that day, she confronted him in his office, prepared to quit if he made no changes. She told him that his behavior made her uncomfortable, and it was a signal to her that she'd never advance in the company because he didn't view her as an equal. She said that perhaps he was trying to promote a, a fun work environment, but he was failing. Martha was terrified that he would fire her, be angry, or tell her to toughen up. But instead, to her surprise, he apologized. He was horrified that that's how she felt and that other women in the company probably felt the same way. He praised her for speaking out when no one else dared to. Over subsequent months, he continued to seek her guidance on the issue and made a formal apology to the staff. A year later, Martha was promoted to a VP role, an incredible position to be in for someone who once believed that the president of the company would never promote a woman to that level. She had the courage to speak up when no one else would. Biblically, when we talk about courage in the Bible or courage in the spiritual life, we often have the image of little David standing before the giant Goliath or Daniel being willing to be thrown into the lion's den. And we feel we need to exhibit the same level of action to be considered spiritually courageous. And while courage does show itself in those times of great courage, in the midst of challenge and opposition, we need to understand that the Scripture also reminds us that we can exhibit spiritual courage for the Lord every day in smaller and less grand ways. And that grand or small-scale courage is still the same courage exhibited. As we continue our study in the book of Joshua in our sermon series entitled Courage in the Crucible, we want to look at three ways we can exhibit everyday spiritual courage through a very interesting person by the name of Rahab. If you don't know, Rahab is a Canaanite woman who features prominently in Jewish history. In fact, she is 
even in the genealogy of Jesus, as Matthew recounts. Rahab is a prostitute, a harlot, and yet she's commended for her faith, her great faith in the living God, Yahweh, even getting special mention in Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith. She's also mentioned positively in the book of James. Rahab will demonstrate everyday spiritual courage in at least three ways, and hopefully those three ways will serve as an example for us for how we can also learn to demonstrate everyday courage for the Lord and draw closer to Him, especially in times of uncertainties, trials, or faced with great opposition. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 2, as we continue our study in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, as we take a look at verses 1 to 24. Let me read from Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. As a wise military leader, Joshua sends two individuals to spy out the land, and to do reconnaissance around the area, especially in the city of Jericho, which was a strategic stronghold city that lay just west of the Jordan River. These two spies did as commanded and spied out the land and presumably pretended to be a visitor upon entering the city of Jericho to spy on it. While in the city, they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and found lodging there for the night. Now, why do these two spies enter the house of a prostitute, and how do they come to meet Rahab? The Bible doesn't tell us. But one can surmise that they probably chose to lodge there for the night because they would be inconspicuous in a place like that, and people would ask less questions, perhaps used to seeing many strangers and visitors in that place. But whatever the reason for the spies lodging in Rahab's house, as we will see, it is part of God's divine plan that these two spies of Israel would meet Rahab. Look at verses 2 and 3. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house for they have come to search out all the country. With the people of Israel camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River ready to cross, the Canaanite cities on the western side would be on alert, especially for such a strategic city like Jericho. The city would be on heightened alert and would be looking out for spies and scouts. Somehow they were able to track down the two spies from Israel. And they knew that they were in the city and specifically knew they'd entered the house of Rahab. The king of Jericho sent men to the house of Rahab to capture them and ask that they be brought out. Look at verses 4 to 7. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they are from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the man pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. 
And to our surprise, Rahab hid the two spies and lied to the king's guards, telling them that she had no idea who they were, but that they were no longer in her house. She also led them to believe that the spies had escaped the city in the cover of darkness, and that if they pursued the spies quickly, they might be able to catch them. The guards didn't bother to check her home, believed her, and ran out of the city to pursue the spies all the way to the riverbanks of the Jordan, when in fact the men were hidden under the stalks of flax on the roof. Now, this situation poses a problematic question which I want to address. Was Rahab's lie justified? Does God allow for lying under these or similar circumstances in order to save lives? Is lying ever okay or is it always a sin? What does God's Word have to say about this matter, especially when the situation seemingly justifies lying in order to save lives? Well, when we look at God's Word, it is quite clear on the matter of lying. The Bible tells us, Thou shalt not lie. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Other verses in both the Old Testament and the New Testament say the same thing. You can take a look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 9. Psalm 101, verse 7. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and other verses. So God's Word is very clear on this matter of lying. And there is no condition and no justification where lying is ever okay. What Rahab did was a sin. But you say, what could she have done if not to lie in order to protect the spies? Well, you know, she could have kept silent and not say anything. Keeping silent when asked a question does not constitute lying. Or she could have told the truth and trusted the Lord would save the two men in other ways. Perhaps the Lord could have blinded the eyes of the guards and they would not have been found when they searched the home of Rahab. Or God could have planned for these two men to miraculously escape. Also, it is of no guarantee that the guards would have believed Rahab's lie and could have still searched her home in spite of what she said. And when they find the two men, and if the scenario had played out in this way, Rahab would have been in big trouble having been caught lying. Or something else to think about. Perhaps if she didn't lie, it would have been God's will for the spies to be captured so that then they would be able to testify before the king of Jericho about the living God Yahweh and perhaps be killed just like so many of the great martyrs of the faith. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was captured and imprisoned And it is in his imprisonment that he was able to testify for the Lord Jesus Christ in front of King Agrippa and the Roman procurator of Judea, Festus, as well as possibly finding an audience before the Roman Caesar having appealed to him. The fact that many of us think that Rahab's lie is somehow justified because we think that's the only way to save these men indicates that we do not fully trust God's Word when He simply tells us to do what is right and He will take care of everything else. It shows that we do not fully believe in His omnipotent power and His ability to protect and to miraculously intervene. It also shows that we often like to manipulate the situation to steer it to how we think God desires for something to happen 
but not submitting to what he already has planned or perhaps desired. Remember, my friends, our responsibility is to do what is right in every situation, and it is the responsibility of God to work out the results. Let me repeat that. It is our responsibility to do what is right in every situation, and it is the responsibility of God to work out the results. This truth has lots of practical applications today as it relates to living out lives of integrity, whether it be in our schools or in the business world, specifically dealing with government agencies. The Bible recorded Rahab's lie, but never approved of it. What was commended in the Bible about her life was her faith, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 recounts. As to why she was not punished for her sin if God doesn't approve of her lie, it is because of God's grace and mercy. Just like God doesn't strike us with a lightning bolt or punish us every time we lie, whether it be a white lie or a black lie or or whatever color of lies are out there, God's mercy and grace is seen in our lives that He doesn't punish us for every lie that we tell. And so the same goes for Rahab. But know that God can choose to punish immediately for lying, as in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, who were Christians but lied to God. Yet in spite of Rahab's lie, God is still able to overcome people's sinfulness and accomplish His purpose, which in this case was to protect the lives of these two spies. But more than this issue of her lie, which I wanted to address because it's often a question when we get to Joshua chapter 2, It is clear that Rahab's good intention desire was to save these two men. She wanted to help people who were very much in need of help. The reason for this we'll find out in the next few verses. But what is clear is that Rahab showed courage to help those in need. And that is everyday courage, number one. The courage to help those in need. The courage to help those in need. Every day we see people in need, and while we may have compassion upon their situation and their plight, and that we have a desire to help, often we are scared to do so. We are scared because we think that somehow it will cost us something, or perhaps it will affect our lives in some way, or thinking that if we were to help someone in need, they will keep asking for more help, and then life gets messy and complicated. So it is only fitting to acknowledge that courage is involved when you help someone in need. Rahab took a big chance in helping these two spies. It could have cost her everything if they had been found hiding in her home with her help. And yet when I think about the cost of helping others and the courage that it entails, I think of Corey Ten Boom and how her family hid Jews from the Nazis in their home as shared in her book, The Hiding Place. But because an informant exposed them, they were all arrested. And Corey and her sister Betsy were eventually sent to the Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück, where her sister died. But every day you and I are confronted as as followers of Jesus Christ with the opportunity to help people in need, people who intersect our lives, who God brings into our lives so that we can help. Do we have the courage to help those in need? Do we have the courage to speak up for one who is being bullied or belittled, whether physically or over the computer? 
Do we have the courage to give up luxuries like your daily luxury coffee and instead take the opportunity to help someone who is struggling financially with COVID-19? Do we have the courage to break away from a family or friend's social obligation and the risk of their questioning your motives to spend time volunteering to help someone in need? Do we have the courage to express biblical convictions and stand for truth alongside of others who are in the minority to give voice and to lend support for what is right and by doing so build confidence in others and encouraging them who are also standing for the same truth? Helping those in need is not as easy as it sounds. It takes courage. Do you have, my friends, the everyday courage to help those in need? Look with me at verses 8 to 11. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shehan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath." As the guards left, Rahab goes back up to the roof area where the two spies were hidden and tells them something surprising. She first tells them that the land is rightfully theirs and acknowledges that the living God has given them that land. She then tells them that the people of the land and her city are afraid. They are terrified of the people of Israel because of two things the Lord God of Israel had done. She recounted how they had heard how Israel's living God had dried up the Red Sea to allow them to cross. And they had heard how the people of Israel had utterly destroyed the forces of two very strong kings of the Amorites, Shehan and Og, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so the people of the land were scared and discouraged. The third thing that Rahab tells them is that she acknowledges that the God of Israel is the one true God who is sovereign over heaven and earth. She is a believer. Now you may wonder how a believer who has such great faith in the living God continues her work as a prostitute and was such a smooth liar. Well, like us, she is a work in progress in her journey towards spiritual maturity. She would not have known of God's standard of holiness as she may not have been exposed to the Mosaic law which prohibited such things. But it seemed that she does indeed live a changed life as she comes to know what the Lord expects of how she is to live and how she is to exemplify herself before others. And she is later included into the genealogy of Jesus, meaning she married someone from the tribe of Judah and lived righteously. That's why we shouldn't be too quick to judge one another as everyone is in a different place in their spiritual maturity journey. What is important is that people are discipled and exposed to God's Word so that they will know what God expects of them and will continue to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more Christ-like in words and action. 
But back to Rahab's three stunning revelations to these two spies. It showed that she had the courage to see through spiritual eyes, seeing the mighty work of God in the parting of the Red Sea and in the defeat of the powerful Amorite kings, and then humbly acknowledging that the God of your enemy is the true living God. Rahab sees through spiritual eyes. And it actually takes a lot of courage to do just that. And that's everyday courage, number two. The courage to see through spiritual eyes. The courage to see through spiritual eyes. When circumstances and events happen in life, the normal explanation is that it happened because of natural causes or because of man's ability or because of failures. We don't often look through spiritual eyes and and acknowledge that God is in the process. For example, your family sits down for dinner, and before you are four to five delicious dishes of food prepared. How many of you openly say thanks, mom and dad, for working so hard to provide money so that we can have this food? Many of us would do that. How many of us would openly acknowledge and thank dad and mom for working so hard in the kitchen to prepare and cook such amazing dishes? Many of us would do that. But how many of you would openly acknowledge and thank the Lord for His gracious gift of provision that He would give mom and dad a job during these difficult times and that He would give mom and dad the skills to know how to cook so well? I'm sure many. But why is it then so hard for you to lead the family in prayer for just that? Consistently every day, whether in the privacy of your own home or at a public restaurant. What if in your home you are the only Christian? What then? It takes a lot of courage to see through spiritual eyes. Even in a Christian family, it isn't automatic that you will see things through spiritual eyes. That's why there are many Christian homes where families do not regularly thank God in prayer for His many blessings. They think that those blessings come from the hard work of their two hands. But it really takes courage to see through spiritual eyes. How many of you, when you go on vacation to Japan or Korea, to Europe or to China or to the U.S., thank the Lord every day while you're on vacation for the privilege of travel, and you begin your day on that vacation, gathering your family to pray and thank God for the privilege of being able to visit those places? How many of you, when you see a beautiful mountain vista or a river valley or a stunning sunrise or sunset at the beach, instantly meditate and think about how great our God is for creating something so beautiful that you are experiencing. I think many of us are not thinking about that. We're worried about taking that great Instagrammable picture. Perhaps we need to really think through whether we do see with spiritual eyes or not. How many of us will, when we see such a beautiful thing, openly acknowledge it to our friends and family that this is the great God who has created all of these things that takes a lot of courage. How many look at the jobs that they have and the schools that they attend and truly appreciate the blessings that they have which others are not afforded? How many, even in times of trials and uncertainty or when faced with great opposition or misunderstanding, thank God for His friendship, His help, His enablement to overcome those challenges, and His sustaining grace to make it through every day. Again, it really takes a lot of courage to want to see through spiritual eyes. And you know, admittedly, it's getting harder and harder 
in our generation to see through spiritual eyes because we live in an age of great rapid advancements in technology and therefore our confidence in the human ability grows. And as that grows, our eyes are blinded and more closed to the understanding of God's power and seeing Him at work. If Rahab lived in our generation today, she may have attributed the parting of the Red Sea to a dam holding back the water. And she may have attributed the defeat of two powerful kings to great military tactics and advancements in weaponry. But she saw those events as evidences of the power of the living God. We think about the advancement in medicine. Things like open-heart surgery and organ transplants are commonplace. So when they are successful we are more likely to place the success of these procedures at the hand of medical advancement than to have the courage to see through spiritual eyes that the Lord granted wisdom and skillfulness of hands to the doctors and the surgeons and that He placed His healing hands on that person's life to allow that person to live through that procedure. So it is more difficult these days to have the courage to see through spiritual eyes. But can we be challenged to do so every day? Can you have the courage, the everyday courage, the everyday spiritual courage to see through spiritual eyes? And perhaps then you can pray as F.H. Oakley does. So help me, Lord, to vision clear throughout the coming day, to see and know that Thou art near, to guide me in Thy way. Look at verses 12 to 14. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, and spare my father and my mother, my brother and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Rahab asks the two spies that they spare her life and that of her family when the time comes for the Israelites to take the city of Jericho. The two men agree as long as Rahab and her family don't reveal their actions to the king of Jericho and his men. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Rahab helps them escape through the house window, which was on the city wall, and tells them to hide in a mountain near the city, and then return back to their camp after three days. Look at verses 17 to 20. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window to which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brother, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. 
The two spies tell her that she needs to tie a red cord out of her window as a sign that this is her house. It would serve as an identification for the soldiers of Israel not to harm those who live inside the house. The members of her family who are not inside the house with the red cord would not be protected. But those who are inside the house with the red cord hanging out the window will be protected. Now let me stop here and say that Rahab now has a choice to make. She can trust if these men will keep their word sworn to the Lord to protect her and her family, or she could trust in her own ability to try to keep her and her family safe. The important decision for Rahab is that does she have the courage to trust God by faith? Look at the response and action of Rahab in verse 21. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab exhibited the courage to trust by faith. She put her life and her family's life in the hands of the men who swore to the living God that they would protect her if she put out a red cord. And as a sign of her faith in God and in God's people to do what was right, she tied the red cord at the window. You see, through her action, we see everyday courage number three. The courage to live by faith. The courage to live by faith, trusting in God and His plans. You know, there are many things in life we don't understand. There are many things in life that we don't understand what God is doing. We wonder why life turned out the way it did. We wonder why perhaps we're still single or why we're unable to have children yet. We wonder why our business isn't flourishing and watch as the business of unbelievers are growing. We wonder why students who cheat get better grades and people who are evil are prospering. It is in these times that the courage of our life really shines through. You see, it's easy and natural to be courageous and bold when things are going your way. But the true test of your faith in the Lord and your trust in God is when you and I can live by faith in times of uncertainty, in times of difficulty, and in times of great opposition. Rahab didn't know these men well. All she knew was that there was a living God who parted the Red Sea and destroyed two powerful kings of the East. And if she trusted in God, then she had to tie this cord and gather her family to find protection in her home. She doesn't know if that red rope is going to save her and her family, but she did it anyway with the courage to trust by faith in God's power and protection. And that's what we need to remind ourselves to live out every day, to exhibit the courage to trust by faith in God's power, plan, purpose, and protection. But a trust in faith isn't only demonstrated by Rahab. Look at verses 22 to 24. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. The two spies had to trust by faith that Rahab and any of her family members would not tell the leaders of Jericho where they were hiding out. 
They had to trust that Rahab wouldn't sell them out or renege on her agreement. They had to trust by faith that Rahab was telling the truth that the Canaanites were scared, which was the report they brought back to Joshua. But their trust and faith in seeing how God brought them into a divine encounter with Rahab gave them joy as they brought encouraging news back to Joshua. If you read ahead, you will know that Rahab and her family are saved when Jericho is destroyed. You see, when we exhibited courage through faith in God and in His actions and trusting in the Lord's plan and will, it will always be to our benefit. And it begins with finding the daily courage to trust the Lord by faith. In Don Sanukian's message, The Eyes of a Doctor, he proposes this scenario. He says, Let's suppose that on your way to work each morning, you usually stop by a Starbucks. You tend to get to the store at the same time every morning, and you usually see a young girl who gets there about the same time you do. On many mornings, you find yourself standing next to one another in line. In fact, you both order the same thing, double espresso with skim milk. She seems to be into the gothic culture, black hair, black clothes, knee-high jackboots, black fingernails, black lipsticks, piercings in the nose, lips, ears, and eyebrows, and scattered tattoos. She usually has a backpack that she has to take off to get her money, and sometimes it seems hard for her to hold the backpack, get the money, and pay for the coffee all at the same time. She doesn't make too much eye contact with anyone. You wonder whether you should strike up a conversation with her, maybe offer to hold her backpack while she pays. You're not sure what to do with the whole gothic bit, and you don't know whether she'd give you a dark look and not say anything, should you even try to be friendly. Maybe find out what brings you both to the same Starbucks each morning. See if she ever tried any of the other specialty coffees. Move toward greeting her every morning. Learn about other parts of her life. Should you do that? Yes, absolutely, by all means, move into her world. Make a comment one day about how the barista probably already knows both of your orders as soon as you walk into the door. Offer to hold her backpack while she pays. A couple of days later, tell her your name and ask for hers. If she misses a few days, tell her you hope she wasn't sick the next time you saw her. Why move into her world? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. You see an anger and alienation. Maybe it's because of a sexual abuse from a stepfather, a brother, or an old boyfriend. But you see the heaviness, the sadness. With the eyes of a doctor, you see the hurt that God can heal. I like this scenario. It is something that I'm sure we encounter similarly every day. But from this scenario, you can see how everyday spiritual courage comes into play. If you are that person who meets that young girl dressed in goth, do you have the everyday spiritual courage to engage her? The courage to help her if she is in need, to see her as God sees people and loves them all. Do you have the courage to see through spiritual eyes, to see perhaps why she is dressed like that, because of loneliness and hurts? Do you have the courage to trust by faith that God 
will do a great work in her life as long as you do what's right, which is to approach her and to be kind to her. Do you have the courage to trust by faith and then leave the results to God? Everyday courage is what we are called to live out. It's not necessarily the grand things. It is the small, everyday things. And it is the same courage displayed both in the small and in the grand. I hope you and I can learn to live in this world, a world that is looking for courageous men and women to stand in the gap, to live as Christ desires for us to live, to help a hurting world. May each of us take on the challenge to live out everyday spiritual courage so that we may live lives holy and pleasing until the Lord returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a reminder through the life of Rahab of how courage can look like even in the little things. Father, sometimes we move back thinking we don't have the boldness and the courage of people like Daniel and Elijah and even of the great apostles. But yet, Lord, you just call us to live by faith, to have the courage of people like Rahab, the courage to help others in need, the courage to see through spiritual eyes, the courage to trust by faith in you and in your plans. Father, I just pray that you would raise up a generation of courageous men and women, young and old, to stand in the gap, to help a hurting world, and to bring Jesus into the lives of many through our actions and our testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.